0: Labels when it comes to human beings, I feel that they are more detrimental than what they aren't. Rachel. Hi. (laughs) Hey.
1: So normally I go straight in, but I need to give context here. Okay. So I googled therapist specialising in entrepreneurs. And the reason I did that is because I think there's a real lack of specialist therapists for entrepreneurs. Because... We're a bit of a rare and crazy breed, as I'm sure you know, as we'll get to. (laughs) We're
0: going to get to that.
1: (laughs) And I also know that each time I sort of open up, my listeners love it. And that's why we're here, because you were the top person that came up in the search. In fact, you might be the only person I could find who seemed very much to specialize in therapy for entrepreneurs. So why do entrepreneurs get or need therapy
0: that's a great question to start with it's like the whole conversation so i think it's really important to first of all establish what therapy is because it's like the understanding of what it actually is involved with and everything else entrepreneurs as you just so beautifully said we are a unique breed there is something so exponentially different about someone who's got this overwhelming desire to better themselves and to you know kind of do good in the world and to actually achieve something beyond what most people can ever imagine and with that comes a lot of personal growth and it's a non-negotiable you know this you've been in the the space a long time and whenever anyone is stepping into that world of like growing a business growing themselves becoming ceos etc The personal development piece of that always ends up coming up, meaning your inner world of a human being kind of can't be ignored. You know, if you're putting yourself out there and you're creating a brand or a, a business and you've got a passion for the thing that you're doing, your stuff inside that makes you a person is a part of that, whether you want it to be or not. You know, this is to do with, like, our, our thoughts and our behaviours and our actions. And, and I think in the entrepreneurial world in particular, everything's magnified and it's amplified massively. You know, it's like most human beings may struggle with things like self-doubt. It's a very normal fear that many of us have. Put that then under the spotlight of you're now stepping into being more, more visible or you're marketing yourself, you're creating a personal brand, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, meaning it becomes more noticeable. Hence the reason why entrepreneurs often reach out for therapy, because it's just something that often starts to come up when they're putting themselves out into the world.
1: Great. So you've definitely opened a few things I want to discuss, but could we get specific? Mm. Like, there must be some triggers. I'm I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but is it loneliness? Is it you get to the top and you realise that's not what you thought it would be? Is it feeling misunderstood? Is it having to deal with so much rejection? Are there common triggers? Uh,
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of them straight away, when you said rejection, that's a really common human fear anyway, right? So as human beings, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, there are certain things that we have, just being human, that is just part of what makes us who we are. The fear of rejection though is a really big common fear that all human beings have. But again, under that spotlight of entrepreneurship, it just becomes potentially more significant. Because if you think about what entrepreneurship is, you're putting things out there, whether it's offers, programs, packages, programs, items. And if you have got this genuine fear of, well, what if people don't like it? What if people don't like me? Someone says no to something, like you've pitched something and they've said no, that fear of rejection can actually become an issue. Because if that's something that's present for someone, it's going to really start holding them back. Now, in a big part, I guess, of the focus around the therapy side, it's really about removing limitation. You know, most of our human limitations are arguably our thoughts. It's us. You know, it's our perceptions. Um, But the fear of rejection is definitely one of the bigger ones. There are plenty more though.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's let's go into rejection. Yeah. Let's do that one. Look at solutions. Yes. And then we'll come back into okay. to some others. So, as an entrepreneur, having done it 16 years, I know that the more I face rejection, the more money I'm going to make, the more growth I have, um, the more results I'm going to get, the more products I'm going to sell, the bigger yeah. ban- brand I'm going yeah. to build. Yeah. And that's a difficult paradox because, like you said, n- no one loves rejection. We just learn to face it and manage it. So I think it's amplified because we haven't got the comfort of someone else paying our salary and someone else negotiating on our behalf and someone else selling for us. Not saying that being an employee is easier, I'm just saying it's different. So the next thing about being an entrepreneur i found is, is because I used to be an artist. So if someone says, I love your art, I used to mean that as they love me. Yes. If someone said, I don't like your art, I would mean that as I don't like you. Yeah. So I find as an entrepreneur, you can take the reactions, critique and feedback of the work you put out in the world very personally, because you built the software, yeah,
0: absolutely. the course,
1: yeah. the product. So how do we deal with that? Like I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm like, I get rejected all the time, but but now I've got to face it, help me, Rachel, help me. (laughs) Give me me an (laughs) line on your face.
0: (laughs) Okay, so there's two main things that tend to come up around rejection. The first thing is a very practical, like in the moment, understanding, and you actually just kind of referenced it already. Sometimes when people get triggered, and it's a word that gets, you know, spouted about a lot of like triggered, you know, people being triggered or having triggers. And all triggers mean is that something has happened and it's kind of reminded you potentially of something from the past or a story that you've created, or it reminds you of a certain situation that you've been in from however many years ago. And around rejection, there's kind of two things that we really need to look at. We need to start being really mindful of that feeling, reaction or response is often an illusion. It's a lie, right? Our brains are so complex and they're also simple. There's a paradox here that when people start to feel triggered around rejection, it could be that they're actually just feeling into the story that they're actually hearing in their own mind. And that separation of entrepreneur is a human here and someone saying no to product, item, pitch, et cetera, it's not about you. You know, and this is one of the biggest things in a very practical sense that everybody can literally start doing immediately is just becoming really mindful of the fact that it's never personal. You know, in some ways, business is personal. It's about relationship building, as you know. But at the same time, it's also not personal in the sense we don't have to make everything mean anything. So if someone is saying no to a thing, it's not about us personally. They're saying no to the offer pitch idea. It's just not for them. So it's about separating ourselves out of the context of the the story that we're telling ourselves. So that's a very practical thing. But going a little bit deeper then into, I guess, like the, the therapy side, the psychotherapy side, if someone notices that that is one of their more common reactions or responses, and it might not be... So obvious that they're walking around thinking, oh, I've I've got an issue with rejection. Like most of us may not see it that way, but we know that we don't feel good if someone doesn't like something of ours. The therapy then is about getting underneath that potential trigger, as in, well, where's it actually coming from? Because for some of us, and I'm sort of a few general sweeping statements within the Mm -hmm. conversation. Could be right, you know, we can't underestimate our life experience, and sometimes these things around rejection they have stemmed from things in childhood, they've stemmed from sometimes actually very innocent situations. But actually, at the age that we were, we created beliefs around them, you know, about people not liking us, or we didn't fit in, or somebody rejected us. And then that's the story that we keep with us when we're 20, 30, 40, 50. So, it's the practical separating ourselves and then also looking at the potential reasons as to where that may have actually come from.
1: Okay, so let's go there then. Yeah. So, my therapist is always trying to get me to talk to the young Rob. I'm not here with again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the young Rob. The Rob who was in the cot alone. The Rob who didn't get much touch and connection from his parents because they were too busy working, trying to make a living. The Rob who didn't really feel love from anyone or that he fitted in at school when he was the fat kid. And something that really shocked me about myself was, um, if if that Rob was there, how would you feel? And I said, ashamed. Um, And she was really shocked. She actually um, started to cry. Um, And I feel deep shame about being the fattest kid in my school and other things that I've blurted out at events that I probably shouldn't say here, but Harry knows them all. Um, But, you know, just my deepest shames, the rejection from girls, the rejection from my friends, and she's always trying to get me to connect with the young Rob and love him for who he is and all this. But I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. Yeah. So you've given us a great practical tip, which is separating the product from the person, essentially. Yeah. And anytime anyone rejects us, it's not me, it's it. Or it's just valuable feedback or it's just the wrong time. Yeah. And we, lo- we make it logical, not emotional. But how do you go back to your childhood trauma or the things that are the origin of all the emotions that are built up and actually change and deal with that?
0: So, big deep breath. <laughs> we'll go in there. <laughs> yeah. So, there's, there's obviously different ways, and I'm going to just speak from my personal experience now. I can't speak on behalf of all therapists or psychotherapists. Like, what I do is very unique to what I do, as you know, kind of pre framing it, I suppose. One of the things, though, that I truly, truly believe when it comes to therapy work is that we do not have to relive anything. So in terms of actually keep going back into those like really deep, dark, sometimes very traumatic, very overly emotional moments, I truly believe that nobody actually has to fully go back into all of that and keep going back into all of that in order for change right here and now to actually happen. I just want to pre-frame that before we get started. Mm. In terms of what we actually do, and I'm sort of half smiling, as you said, my therapist keeps getting me to speak to the younger Rob. There is, a, there is an important aspect though as to why sometimes that is a part of the, the process because a lot of these beliefs are formed in you know younger time periods and sometimes we do carry them into adulthood. How we when actually- you say sometimes,
1: would you not say a lot?
0: Def, well, yes but we're talking predominantly about these like limitations yeah. around things, right, that yeah. can really prevent us from being all that we get to be. Um, what we can actually do though, and this might sound a little bit, I feel like there's a lot of paradoxes in the, this conversation today. Bring it. Um, sometimes when I'm working with someone, especially if they come into that, that sort of space with me and they'll say, I feel like I've been working on this for a long time and I don't know your story, I don't know whether that might be true for you, mm. particularly around rejection, but sometimes, there is that paradox of we also get to decide when we feel that actually keep going back into that part in the past. I'm not saying it's detrimental, but it's kind of reinforcing the fact that there's an issue, right? So it's also being aware of the fact that, yes, there can be things that are formed in childhood. Yes, it can be important at points maybe- You are right there, Harry? I
1: do apologize. That's okay. Leave that in, please, Harry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: Harry just wants to be part of the show. <laughs>
0: That's all right in the <laughs> background. Um, we can go back to those like younger versions of ourselves, you know, try and understand and you know help them recognise what might have really been happening at the time. And sometimes it's not always what we have to do in order to move forward, which I know sounds a paradox.
1: Yeah, uh, let's just quickly explore this. So, is the purpose of going there? to connect and understand the situation is the purpose of going there to change the meaning of the situation?
0: It's both. It's both. So sometimes, so just using like an an example, let's say that something happened to, to you or somebody when they were like five, six years old and that incident through the lens of a five or six year old made that person believe that they weren't Good enough or that they weren't lovable or that they had to somehow be different to, to be validated to be accepted going back to that version of themselves first of all helps the adult version see it through a different lens which sometimes for some people can actually be enough for them to go oh do you know what i get it now i understand where that's come from and i can now choose to let that story go i don't need to keep that part of me alive anymore as in the belief for some people it is about going back though to that five, six year old version of them and actually start to, to reprocess the event, right? Because obviously as we get older, we get wiser, allegedly. We get smarter, we kind of understand how things actually are, and how the world works, and that there are certain parts of our growing up when we don't have those those resources to do that. So it is actually both. It's kind of seeing it in a different way, and then also looking at how can you start processing that now through the lens of the older version of yourself, so that actually those those neural pathways can start to change. You know, so that belief and that coding, in essence, doesn't need to carry on in the version that you are right now.
1: Okay, so I think there's a difference, and let's explore this, between logically being able to say, "Oh, I feel something. That feeling actually isn't the present. It's the present moment that's triggered the past. I think I know the root of the trigger. I can make this current situation not mean the same Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as my past so the emotion i'm feeling isn't the truth Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's the past being brought up as an emotion and i can see the present moment for what it is not what my past is trying to make it but when you are feeling so emotional easier said than done
0: absolutely and this is the complexity right being a human being is that we do have emotions and no amount of therapy self-awareness self-development personal development is ever going to take that away and that's also not the point we need to know how to navigate it Mm. so when someone is in that moment of a really heightened emotional state of being so let's say it is something like the rejection because that's that's kind of what we're talking about actually having that self-awareness, as you've just articulated, is first of all really important. And that takes a little bit of self-awareness to actually get to that place. And a lot
1: of fucking money (laughs) on (laughs) courses. A lot of fucking money.
0: Yes, a lot of therapy work, personal development. That's not something that sometimes happens overnight. Um, But actually just having that awareness is obviously relevant, right? But then when you get to that part of noticing about the emotions... I don't know what you do personally, but if you have a heightened state of emotion, do you allow yourself to have it or do you try and ignore it? Do you try and distract yourself? Do you try and.
1: I think I've tried all. Yeah. So I think when I didn't handle them well, and by the way, I'm not some Buddhist master of emotions, I can still get blindsided. I find that, you know, you, you attain a certain level of mastery, but then that's just the door to the next level. Yeah. That, that's what I find. But I think at first, I would distract myself unconsciously, whether it would be sex or hunger to make money, like really properly, you know, the thrill of the chase, the negotiation of the deal, competition, winning, or whatever. These would be like, I'd feel this strong emotion of projection, and it would come out in these very primal. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought I was a man. But I was maybe a a man a bit out of control, not in control of the emotions. So distraction's definitely been a big thing for me, which I've learned or learned about me and learned to not do. Then the next thing would be to try and disown it or brush it away. I know what it is and, you know, just try and make myself happier really quick. And I can sometimes do that, but it's just pushing it away and not actually dealing with it. And then a lot of the modern, bathe bathing it, breathing, feeling it, allow it, Tried that as well. And sometimes it's like, you know, basking in your own misery, that can be too much. Yeah. So I'm tr- I try not to allow it to the point where I have unhealthy distractions and try and find healthy distractions. Yeah. Um, so where I'm at right now, mostly, is I try not to rush it away. Because it's just, I just believe that emotions are um, a feedback mechanism to the environment.
0: It's, it's an inner compass. Like when yeah. people start to shift that understanding of, oh my God, shit, I'm not feeling very good right now. This must mean something negative, bad or whatever. If people can start seeing it, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Mm. Now I'm forever saying to people, like, look at it through the lens of curiosity rather mm. than judgment. It's like, oh, why am i feeling so shit all of a sudden. Like, mm. that's weird. Where's that come from? And actually seeing it as that inner compass, like something has shifted, whether it's, it's environmental. Your, your exactly. body is telling yeah. you something. Yeah, absolutely.
1: A reaction to the environment to keep you safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I also think everything's a paradox. I sit in this weird position where I know I've way mastered my emotions compared to where I was 15 years ago.
0: I'm sure.
1: But all I've really done is opened a new door in the <laughs> matrix of which, because like, First of all, I couldn't take rejection from anyone. Now I could take rejection from thousands of people on a Facebook Live. But if Arnold Schwarzenegger was sat there, who's you know, one of my sort of entrepreneurial heroes, and we were live, and he rejected me, I know that would hurt so bad. So I know that it's just, in business, we say new level, new devil. Mm. So Because I also think that the day you think you've mastered something, the day after that, you'll get peckered right <laughs> oh, off your couch. perch. What is the right way to deal with it? Is it to distract? Is it to just learn to make yourself happy like a Buddhist monk? Or is it to bathe in the misery?
0: So I'm not going to recommend you bathe in the misery. That's not the approach that I take. But sometimes
1: it takes longer.
0: Yeah, it does. A long time. Yeah, I think acceptance, right? So we're kind of talking about we've got these options. We can either push it away, pretend it doesn't exist, or sort of find this middle ground somewhere in the middle. I often encourage people to see how they get to accept, and it's actually not just the emotion, it's them. Okay, so sort of looping this back to this rejection conversation now. How could, I'm sort of using you as an example. Please how, do. how could you actually lean into just accepting the fact that what if this rejection, wound, trigger, whatever might always be there from now until whenever? What if it's never gonna fully heal or it's never gonna fully disappear? How could you accept that that's a part of you? Is that a possibility
1: i think it is like i I don't want to say i could never master it because i don't want to allow myself to let myself off the hook of the continued pursuit of mastery but at the same time it started when i was under two years old according to my therapist so it's been with me my whole life and then i think wait a minute what if i didn't feel rejection well, I wouldn't give a shit about my customers. Oh, they can complain. Fuck off. Yeah. You know, I would probably be pretty bad in relationships because I'd probably be too persistent, too belligerent. I remember getting an absolute rollicking off Rachel Elmore. She was on um, Dragons Den. I just kept hounding her, like not to date her, but just to hound her to like, hey, let's meet up, and like because you're told to network yes. and you're told to never give up and you're told to be persistent. That's what they tell you. Yeah. And in the end, she was like, what do you want? Leave me alone. She won't remember this. It was all over email. And I thought, yeah, wait a minute. That's actually not that good because I don't actually know what I want. I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to. So if you don't have an awareness, a cognitive sensitivity yeah. to rejection, I could be quite bad for you.
0: Well, do you know what? I love the fact that you've reframed the fact that actually rejection is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if we bring this into the context, like you said, of customer service, of looking after your clients, of actually giving a shit at the work that you're doing, that rejection thing is arguably a part of that because if you didn't have that there, then you wouldn't really care. So I think this acceptance of who we are, like as a whole being, is actually quite a relevant part of how we start stepping more into who we actually are and something that's just dropped in my head as you were saying that I think sometimes and you haven't said this I'm just sort of like feeling in between the words that you've just spoken sometimes in the entrepreneurial world there is this desire to be this the master of all the things right like we want to better ourselves we want to constantly be growing and evolving and expanding in like all the ways not just financial but as a person as well and I think sometimes that can also be a slight slippery slope in personal development. That some say, people, I
1: wouldn't say sometimes.
0: Okay, always <laughs> a slippery slope. <laughs> often,
1: yeah.
0: um, of, of people sometimes perceiving that there comes a point when they don't have anything to deal with anymore because actually they've 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 worked on themselves that's you know decades at some point that actually this rejection thing is dealt with or this it's been dealt with, and I think that can sometimes be. A reason why people think that they should be over something by now or why why they feel that they need to deal with something again because surely it should have gone and this was the invitation of how do we start just accepting what if that is just part of you and it ain't going to go anywhere you know rather than looking to try and fix it or heal it completely what if the self-awareness is actually enough for you to just be okay with it to pop up every so often
1: yeah because I can imagine it's a pretty painful life experience to continually try and fix something that you perceive that is broken, which is actually a part of you and is not broken. So there's a couple of things I wanna chuck in at this point because I struggle with this paradox. So I've got this mentor and he says, everything is as it should be Mm. and everyone is perfect as they are. Yeah. But no entrepreneur thinks they're perfect as they are every entrepreneur wants to make more sales and have a higher valuation and build a bigger personal brand. So we've got this paradox whereby, oh, I love myself for who I am. I am perfect just as I am. I am worthy of love, yada, yada, which I try and tell myself those things and that sometimes I can accept those things and sometimes I can't. But then that's almost letting us off the hook because we can be better and we can be more. But then when we know we can be better and be more, we always strive to be better and more, we, we realise there is no destination. We always thought we'd find a destination. And so then there's this realization that, fuck, this is a game of snakes and ladders, except it doesn't stop at hundred. I'm never complete. And I just find that whole thing a great big it is. paradox.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So
1: therapize me and fix me. <laughs>
0: Help. Okay. Something that I guess I want to share around this is that I have a fundamental belief that as human beings, we always get to improve ourselves. And it's not necessarily because we're trying to fix something that we think is broken. It's just that we are arguably limitless beings and we get to be all that we want to be, which means we can always improve our mindset. We can always improve our thoughts. We can always improve who we are as a person. And at the same time, going back to what we said about this separation from, I don't believe that that is always a requirement for the entrepreneurial success that many people desire. Like you can still create success without necessarily looking at any of your childhood wounds. And the paradox again, sometimes as this journey is going along its own natural you know, way of growth and evolution, sometimes it starts to highlight some of these things. So that paradox that you said then about we are already whole and perfect and wonderful, which we are, I think the invitation is to actually just be aware of the fact that there isn't anything that any of us need to fix ever.
1: So why are they called wounds? Everyone calls them childhood wounds, but if we're perfect and there's nothing to I know,
0: fix, a, a, wound is,
1: a wound is something that's broken, why it's, is it a wound? It's
0: something to heal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, but if we're perfect, there's nothing to heal.
0: Which I do agree with sometimes. So, this childhood, so I don't tend to talk about childhood wounds, I tend to talk about childhood stories because actually mm. we create stories and yeah. as humans we're bloody good at doing that. You mm. know, We have perceptions and we think that we understand something but it's only ever through our belief system. Yeah. And actually within childhood, we create a lot of stories. You know, So this concept about you're already whole and you're already perfect, yes you are and you don't necessarily need to constantly try and fix anything in order to be better. This acceptance is actually quite important but we get to choose to. I think it's more of a choice. Like, we get to choose whether we want to improve the person that we are and whether we could step into more and like more potential or more magnificence. Um, I mean, I don't know whether for you, you seeked therapy because you were trying to fix something. Sought, seeked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you should be correcting me.
0: (laughs) Whether you actually went for therapy. Yeah,
1: straight. I I, I went straight in, triggered by a certain event. But um, when I. When I started getting into therapy, I tested like five different therapists and did a session. A couple of them didn't like it. <laughs> um, but like if I was wanting to do a business course, I'd go and see who's out there and line them up against each other and pick the best one. So I had four or five sessions. <laughs> one of them was like, why don't you just bite your wife some flowers if you want to improve your relationship? And I was like, right, we won't be carrying on with that one. Um, so cause for me, I, I didn't, it was triggered by, well, it was triggered by a couple of events. One's personal, it's probably not relevant to say at this time, but one of them was I felt fucking lonely. Mm. And I'd made, I'd had one of my biggest years, made millions of pounds. We had all sorts of great things going on in the business. And I felt fucking lonely. So lonely. And it was like a big, and it was like I couldn't grab the people around me hard enough and shake them hard enough and get them to understand. It was like, if you're a ghost in a room and you want to get people's attention, but you're a ghost, that's how I felt. Mm. And I couldn't get through to anyone. So I did some, did one or two things in my life, which was basically a fuck you all, you're gonna notice now, and everyone fucking noticed it. So it had its effect. Um, n- not the most elegant way of dealing with one's issues, but um, anyone who knows me know, I, I do grand gestures are my thing. Um, but also I thought, well, I've done, I've probably spent a million quid plus on courses, a lot of it personal development, but I've never had a therapist. So I didn't feel like, oh, I'm broken and fucked, I don't need a therapist. I thought, this is more personal development. This might be able to help me in a way that um, a lot of the personal development courses hadn't. So that was why I started, it was two and a half years ago. That, um,
0: that feeling lonely is actually quite a common thing. So I know you, you've used the word lonely, but did that feel like it was like to do with your, your purpose? Did that not quite feel there? Or was it about your fulfilment? Or was it actually like lonely as a human being?
1: The third, not the purpose. So um, mm. people say to me all the time, they ask, um, hey Rob, do you ever feel like giving up? No, never. Yep. I feel like not doing this job today all the fucking time. Yeah but I never feel like giving up because I've got a very clear and definite purpose, which is to help as many people on this planet get better financial education and knowledge. So I don't ever experience yeah. that. And I feel fortunate, but I searched for it for 27 years. So I did my time there. So I don't have that. I have the childish, like, oh, fuck this, I don't wanna do it. Harry's filmed me loads of times. I'm like, oh, fucking, I'm going wanna do this. I won't even read an intro for him because I'm like a child. I hate doing it. So Every day I, have a, I want to give up this bullshit task. It's never purpose though for me. I never lose purpose. It's sometimes a mix of identity. Mm. Because the thing is, I identify as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And in a way, that's really good, I think, because it, it differentiates me, makes me feel, yeah, you know, there's something about me that's good self-worth there. Problem is, if if you're a counsellor looking shit or you get locked down by the government and your identity as an entrepreneur and it's not going well as an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you feel very, you can feel shame, useless. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, So I I get that from time to time. But I, I need to be noticed and loved and appreciated, not by everyone, not by the world but by some people Mm. and if I feel like I'm doing a lot of good work because what I do makes a lot of people a lot of money and if I feel completely isolated and there's not much gratitude there and I feel unloved that to me makes me feel very dark yeah yeah
0: understandably so though you know it's that reciprocate yeah it is it's like you're reciprocating you're putting something out and you're I guess, expecting or hoping that it's going to come back to you in return as well. Which is a
1: paradox, because you should never do anything expecting anything in return.
0: We've got a lot of paradox We have. We should
1: call this the paradox paradox. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and also, you know, they say in entrepreneurship, you should hang around people whose strengths are your weaknesses. And whilst that's good, that makes you very vulnerable on your weaknesses. Mm. Because if you're good at what I'm not, and I'm good at what you're not. We're a good partnership, but you know my weaknesses, yeah. and that can feel very scary and can raise shame. And so I've got good people around me, my wife, my business partner, my MD, other members of you know my team, my network, who are really good at what I'm not. Yes. But what that means is they, it's like a mirror of my weaknesses to me. Which sometimes it's as bright as that light, and other times it doesn't doesn't matter and it it can sometimes suppress who I am when I'm around like imagine you're an entrepreneur that wants to do sales and you're around a load of accountants and lawyers in the end you're gonna be like you're all counting beans. I want to go and make millions fucking leave me alone yeah but you need the accountants and lawyers so that that happens for me I wouldn't say recurring because I want to predict it for the future it's not like a time loop but it's a trigger if Mm. that's the right word
0: yeah Or it's highlighting something you know we mentioned about self-acceptance earlier didn't we and and actually sometimes actually having that self-awareness you're saying it's like your weaknesses because you you're getting that reflection back from other people there's that choice again like as humans and for yourself you get to choose to just honor the fact that that might not be your strength and you don't need to make that mean anything about you or you get to choose to see that as, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if I could now start becoming better at X, Y, Z. You know, and from a therapist's point of view, we get to look at that from all the different angles. You know, is it that there might be a story you've created as to why you aren't very good at marketing, selling, whatever it could be? And if so, we get to kind of look back at it, explore it, see it through a different conversation. Um, and sometimes it might not be that anything was created in the past, but you still get to move forward in a different way from a, a self-image perspective. Because that's also why, you know, a lot of therapies that I do, it's not just going backwards, it's also helping people move forward in the way that they want to, you know, whether that be confidence, self-belief, self-worth, etc., um, we kind of we get to do it in in both directions.
1: So, is loneliness something that entrepreneurs come to you yeah. for help with? Yeah. And how do you help them?
0: <laughs> Just give mean? us a soundbite
1: that fixes <laughs> us all, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, there is no like one, you know, one box of fits everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. However, I think the commonality around loneliness, and that's why I asked you those few questions after, for a lot of people, it does actually come down to purpose or fulfillment, you know, which is, it, you know, it's kind of, it's a big topic, isn't it? It's like if someone doesn't feel fulfilled or that, and they're not actually living their purpose, they could have all the success in the world, all the money in the bank, and yet there's still this part of them every day that's like empty, hence the loneliness. Um, for some people, it is about looking at where-
1: That is a great word. It's not, but it's a great, empty. Empty. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a common feeling.
0: Mm. You expected
1: a sale and you didn't get it. Empty, you, yeah, em, that, that is a feeling I can relate to.
0: That's a really common one. I've had people who are ridiculously successful who've you know done amazing things and they've often reported they felt empty off the back of the sale or the contract or whatever went through. It's like, I thought I was gonna feel something a bit more than what I did. Mm. So then it's that striving for the next thing And there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes it can start to limit someone because then they're constantly trying to get the next fix, the next hit. So they're
1: chasing a feeling. They're chasing a feeling. And it becomes an addiction.
0: It can do. For some people, it can do. So you said about distracting yourself earlier. Yeah. Drinking, eating too much. Yeah, drinking, not for me. Eating (laughs) is definitely
1: a distraction. Yeah. If I um, feel good, I want to eat. If I feel shit, I want to eat. There's another one. I don't drink though, so I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess any shuns, addictions are going to be things that entrepreneurs could lean on.
0: I think they're actually more common in the entrepreneurial world. It's a bit of a...
1: So what, you're saying we can have addictive personalities?
0: Yeah, which in a positive way is the drive, isn't it? It's like seeking that next level, whatever it could be, and... The other side of that is that it can, for some people, be detrimental because that addictive personality of constantly wanting to improve, seek the next thing can also then manifest in a different way. It's starting to become addicted to other things that also make them feel something.
1: Mm. And how do we catch ourselves going down that road of no return?
0: So I'm kind of getting into the addiction oh, world yeah, now. yeah, no, no,
1: let's do it. You, well, you said we're addictive personalities. Yeah, let's we do are, this. We are.
0: Self-awareness <laughs> is the most important thing. And I think as entrepreneurs, that is actually quite a blessing because I think most entrepreneurs have got a level of self-awareness than compared to to others. But actually noticing those behavioral patterns is really key to where most people may start recognising that actually there could be something here that they want to start either breaking, exploring, looking into a little bit more. There's nothing wrong with eating, obviously. Drinking, that's okay. But it's when it starts to become a little bit more than just... What, like just... you rely on it,
1: you mean? Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that reliance or dependency, some people yeah. talk about that dependency around it. It's getting the hit. You know, entrepreneurs love the adrenaline, right? That sort of the high, the buzz, the, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then when it comes back down again, it's, if someone has got that addictive personality, seeking that next adrenaline rush isn't always, I'm just gonna make a sale or I'm just gonna, you know, it could be through other means. Mm.
1: So how do we avoid that trap? Therapy. It didn't take you long to get your pitch in
0: there. <laughs> Actually, at this
1: point, um, what is your website? And if someone's listening and thinking, yeah, I could, would definitely, I'm open to therapy. I get asked a lot. So you could get a lot of business out of me. <laughs> I don't want any commission, but um, just just keep an eye out for me and make sure I'm all right I you will know, do. on the I internet. Keep, I, I will then, do. I'll yeah. keep
0: an eye open um, for you. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Um, Where do they go? So
0: if they go to rachelfoy.com, it's all on the website. So I do specialize, as you said, in entrepreneurs, high level business leaders, because they're the people who, when they start to recognize their potential and they work through some things, if there are things to work through, it's like they they literally become limitless. Yeah. No, it's that drive. It's the, the personality of the entrepreneur just fascinates me.
1: So did you mean always to focus on high-achieving entrepreneurs, CEOs, or did you fall into that?
0: I fell into it. Or is it
1: just because we've got money so we can pay you and (laughs) stay stay on the direct debit?
0: (laughs) I I adore human beings. We said this just off camera. It's like I'm fascinated with how people work, how we think, how we operate. And that understanding of how we get to improve ourselves is just something that I've always been interested in. Um, I fell into it. You know, sort of entrepreneurial, got entrepreneurial family members, um, myself as well. I had a few hypnotherapy clinics in Dubai. I worked with a lot of people in certain realms and spaces, and I just yes. I was fascinated with their their take and actually their hunger as well. I think that's also something that's quite unique to entrepreneurs. It's the hunger to to do
1: the to do the work. Where does the hunger come from?
0: That's very personality driven. You know. I mean, I don't know what your take is on entrepreneurs. Are we, are entrepreneurs born or are they created? Is it part of just who they are?
1: No. No, I don't think anyone's born anything. They're born potential. Mm. Do I think that there's genes which might give you certain personality traits? Yes. Yeah. And not from science necessarily, but because I had two kids and they were both clearly before the environment could impression them, which would be nurture, they had certain personality traits formed. I remember one of my mentors saying to me that a family dynamic to work will have a group of people with opposing values. So an entrepreneur being with an entrepreneur and the two kids being entrepreneurs, it's not gonna work in a family dynamic. He even said that, I think it's a conception, biologically, traits or genes are are divided. Not super clear on the science, but this was what someone said to me. Um, And I suppose I always thought, well, you're lucky because you were born successful. Mm. But that really was my story of not taking, not stepping up to my own forthcomings. And then I read all the books, Bounce. Matthew Syed, Malcolm Gladwell, all the books on the 10,000 hour rule and all this. And I flipped and I thought, yeah, actually, to be honest, you could learn anything. Like, I can't slam dunk a basketball, but I could learn it. I couldn't sell um, before I could sell, but I learned it from good salespeople. And most of the traits I've got that are good, okay, I'm creative naturally, I think. So maybe there were some creative genes in me. But imagine if I had a lot of creative genes and I was held in captivity in a two-meter-squared dark room for 25 years, none of those would manifest. So I now believe that some traits are um, genetic and they're latent potential. Mm. And then your environment will have a big impact on whether you become an entrepreneur or not. Um, Because how can an introvert be an entrepreneur And an extrovert be an entrepreneur how can someone who's really shy and technical and analytical be an entrepreneur how can someone who's dreamy and big picture and up in the clouds be an entrepreneur because if you think of the 50 most famous entrepreneurs you've got on the one extreme bill gates elon musk and then you've got you know richard branson maybe donald trump so if entrepreneurs were born, one side of that spectrum wouldn't exist. Yep. Yeah, that's my short answer. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think?
0: I'm the same, actually. Yeah. That's exactly what I think. I think those personality traits we, we have, but going back to those childhood stories, no, it's like if someone has had experience throughout certain periods of their life where they were told that they weren't very good at being creative or they didn't, you know, they weren't stay very Stay
1: in your lane, money doesn't grow on trees, don't all take risks. Of all yeah. of that stuff, right. From your parents who are trying to protect you and are loving you. Absolutely. But they're inadvertently banging out the entrepreneur potential in you.
0: Absolutely. And then this then is the thing, isn't it? It's like cause people then grow up, this potential that you referenced, I believe every human being has got limitless potential mm. Mm. without exception, mm. but there are various stages to which a particular person will have activated their potential, so to speak. Yeah. And actually that is then also the work of what we do around therapy and around mindset and around mindset coaching and, and actually looking at the stories and the patterns and the behaviors that actually don't serve someone.
1: Yeah, okay, so we need to go back to loneliness. So, so far, Entrepreneurs come to you because they have rejection emotions. They come to you because they have loneliness emotions. And I want to find out any others. But back to this loneliness because it's so common Mm. in in my world. I've mentored thousands of entrepreneurs. So how do we cure that feeling of loneliness? (laughs) That's a big question.
0: (laughs) That's a big question. How do we cure the feelings of loneliness? Understanding where that is coming from is ultimately what therapy is, okay? So if you kind of imagine like the roots of the tree, if someone has got a particular issue, behavior, um, trigger, emotion that keeps coming, keeps appearing, it's like, well, let's get under the tree and actually see where is it actually coming from. Now, sometimes that loneliness, and I know we keep referencing these like childhood stories, for somebody that could be relevant, you know, they could could have experienced multiple times throughout a period where they felt really lonely well, very detached really lonely. yeah absolutely yeah. so it was it was a very real life situation for them and therefore these feelings of loneliness now are those re-triggers so it's the reactivation of a suppressed emotion or you know suppressed story and forward facing It's then also looking about the practical of what are you now going to do about it because actually from a therapy point of view, well, certainly how I work, yes, we look backwards to see if there's anything there to shift, heal, move around, etc. And it's also about forward facing, because what I don't want to do with anybody is let's just keep going back to the past, let's keep looking at all the shit, let's keep looking at all the stories, let's keep bringing it all back up. Because for some people that then doesn't change anything, it just keeps bringing up the same things around, oh yeah, I remember now. And actually it doesn't really shift their path moving forward. So we also want to connect it to moving forward around the loneliness. Is it about purpose? Is it about fulfillment? Does something need to shift with the business? Do you need to branch out? Do you need to
1: get on the train, go to London and go to business (laughs) events? Isn't it funny how often we feel lonely? But entrepreneurs are probably the most resourceful yeah. at being unlonely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Or it's something really Cause, practical. Because like we could
1: you know, like if we can't find anyone, I can pay them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can pay someone to mentor me if yeah. I need to.
0: Yeah. So it's looking really practical. Which sometimes I know we're kind of joking about this, but sometimes it is a really obvious thing of I just might need to find some different people to be around yeah. or actually have more of a human interaction. A lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with, they can be very, they're not introverted necessarily, but when they're in that zone, it's like they kind of forget that they also have a life to live and they also get to have fun and they also get to step out of the business box. You know, so it's also making sure that, and I hate the word balance, because sometimes can we ever find balance in life, but making sure that there is an even spread of actually where someone's time and attention is going.
1: Mm. So is there, I'm really glad you said that, is there a challenge with entrepreneurs who come to you where their personal life's a bit of a fucking mess because they're so obsessed about business? Yes. That's common? Yeah. And how do you help them?
0: So we look at obviously the, the person first and get a picture as to what's going on for them. Boundaries, I guess, is a really big one. And in entrepreneurship, that's not always as straightforward as like nine to five job because we have- (laughs) What's that? Exactly. What is
1: that one speaks of?
0: I don't remember. (laughs) But the boundaries conversation though, is sometimes where people need to start really stepping into that discipline, um, clarity, and actually being really clear around making sure that there are times when they are trying to step away or they're actually looking after themselves. Um, again self-care is a really fluffy word but ultimately self-care is when someone's starting to recharge their batteries you know it's like if you're giving a lot and you're doing a lot and you're doing all the magic that you're here to do if your batteries aren't being replenished as a human being because remember human and business we kind of need to make sure that they're not always this mesh sometimes those batteries if they're not being replenished that can also lead to things just starting to spread out not in a positive way
1: Okay. Thank you. So asking for help. I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. Mm. So in your experience, do most of your entrepreneurial clients just go and dump their whole life story on you, or even once they've hired you, do they still have problems opening up and asking for help?
0: I think it's a mixture and I'd say it's probably quite an even split. So I have people who are very self-aware already, And this is just something that they know, they keep bumping up against a certain roadblock, whether it be a certain emotion, a certain belief, a certain fear, and they're curious to see if there might be something there they can work through. And then there are other people who it is like a, just getting it all out and actually asking for that help, like you said, doesn't always come easy to them. Although having said that, I think in that entrepreneurial space, I think actually asking for help is perhaps a little bit easier in some ways, especially when someone has got that drive of actually, we said about getting to that next level. Sometimes people, they, they'll do whatever it takes. You know, and go back to that personality thing again, it's like if somebody truly notices that there is something that keeps repeating itself as a pattern, they're gonna do whatever is required often to actually get past or get through that thing. Um, So in that case, asking for help isn't necessarily the problem or the challenge. It's then actually about working through the stuff that comes through.
1: Okay, so asking for help, loneliness, rejection. Are there any other major reasons why entrepreneurs come to you?
0: Um, General things like stress management, overwhelm, kind of work-life balance. We've kind of briefly spoken about that. Um, sometimes external validation can come up a little bit. So people who, it could be connected to loneliness, but sometimes it's very separate. It's when people have got all the things, the bells and the whistles, and they have the success, but actually they've created it through that lens of I'm doing this to be validated. i want people to see that i'm successful i want people to see that i've achieved i want people to notice that i'm you know doing all of this wonderful stuff
1: is that a bad thing
0: it's not necessarily a bad thing until it becomes a bad thing so sometimes the drive a bit
1: ridiculed in society isn't it or or yeah the showing off i remember seeing he's been on the show and i think he's a good guy i wouldn't say he's a friend but he's certainly an acquaintance robin sharma Mm. and he's pretty spiritual kind of guy who when i asked him about what his net worth is he declined to answer and you can't imagine he is a flexer of lamborghinis but he put a picture up on his instagram of this like fiat 500 and i thought you're pretending like you're not flexing but you're flexing that you're not flexing (laughs) And like, to me, that's like, if you're going to flex, get the Lamborghini out, not the Fiat 500. I have a Lamborghini, by the way. But I thought that's just a flex, that you're not flexing in the same way as other people flex. So actually, this is really good. As you can see, I've got no questions. I wanted this to be a chat and I knew some cool stuff would come out. But what's the problem with seeking validation? Don't we all do it?
0: Of course we do. But I think what we're focusing on, though, and in that therapy conversation, it's when that starts to become an issue. As in an addiction? Potentially. Or when you don't
1: get it, you feel empty.
0: Yes. So we go back to those triggers again. There's nothing wrong in wanting to be validated, right? Because sometimes that's the drive of what can create success. But when it becomes the issue is when there's that pattern of repeated behavior where somebody starts to notice they're feeling a bit shit or actually they do something and that didn't feel very good or actually they bought that car and people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing, but actually they've not got the feeling that they thought they were going to have when they got the car in the first place. So it's almost like that the validation part is they're doing it for other reasons other than pure desire for themselves.
1: Okay, we'll come back to that maybe. Um, Here's something else. I think people get wrong. Trust your intuition. Hmm, Well, I think our emotions are often wrong and they trick the fuck out of us. So what do you think on the paradox between trusting your intuition and actually your emotions are lies?
0: Emotions can be lies. And this is the big challenge, right, of being human, is that, as we said earlier, emotions don't go anywhere. What I often encourage people to do, though, is if they're in a heightened emotional state, whether that be- Don't um... open the fridge. (laughs) Don't open the fridge. Don't make any life-changing decisions. Don't sign any contracts. Never make a promise
1: when you're elated.
0: No. All of that. Yeah. So actually keeping a check on those emotions as we were talking about before. It's not about pushing them away, distracting yourself or like wallowing in that feeling. It's the self-awareness again. And actually in those moments when emotions are heightened, it said that emotional intelligence drops when that emotion goes up, intelligence drops. And mm. I think that's something really important to be aware of. So when it comes to intuition, I believe we can listen to intuition, mm-hmm. but not when we're in a heightened state of stress, panic, fear.
1: So, what you're saying is intuition is not emotion? No. They're separate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. that emotional response reaction that you feel yeah. in that moment, I believe intuition is like really hard to tune right. into.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think people fuck their life up in their heightened emotions?
0: Oh, potentially. That's always an option.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading Arianna Huffington saying so they've done this study. And basically, when you're really triggered, it lasts about 10 seconds. Yeah. When you're really triggered. But is that not when you make really bad decisions?
0: Of course it can be. And, you know, this is that journey of the human being, isn't it? It's like sometimes we do make decisions in the heat of the moment and I have to just think, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But actually that self-awareness comes with personal development, with growth, with becoming self-aware as to who we are as humans and actually starting to recognise that when you... It's not even about mastering emotions. I don't, I don't want it? to, I don't think it is because what does that even mean? I mean, mastering emotions implies- I think, it mean, I think
1: it means balancing them when they're overly high regulating them and when they're overly low lifting them up and getting them into a centered state where intuition and logic are probably apparent. Intuition and logic, because I, I like what you said about are not really in my mind disconnected intuition and emotion I, I really like that but speaking as a man i am definite when my testosterone's way up there or my excitement's way up yeah. there you, you know bad shit happens yeah. <laughs> but then also when you're down and depressed there same thing so isn't mastering emotions bringing them into balance and making good, strategic, logical decisions?
0: So it can be. I think, though, for some people, that conversation around mastering emotions, the perception of it is I need to kind of keep them on an equilibrium. Like I need to master my emotion means I need to not go too up here and I need to not go too down here. It should be sort of somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, I've always felt like... Oh, so I can't be really happy then.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because it's
1: bad and I'm going to make bad decisions. Oh, I'm elated. Oh, I should feel guilty about being elated.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So for some people, that mastering emotions, and I've you know I heard people say this to me, their perception of it is not your understanding, which actually is kind of where I would put it. It's it's, it's about bringing it into some kind of balance, but it's that it should just be quite neutral. I shouldn't get too stressed and I shouldn't get too this and I shouldn't get too that because that's a bad thing. That's when that's a bit of an issue because yeah. we can't we can't eliminate emotion as a human, can we?
1: No, and I was, uh, and if if we think that emotions are feedback, extreme emotions is extreme feedback. It's exactly. an extreme warning. Yeah. I remember sitting in the back of a Range Rover with John De Martini, and he was meditating, and I thought, damn, I have still got work to do. <laughs> I'm like, I can't get meditation done, and then he opened his eyes and he looked at me like this, and he went, Rob. I gave up happiness years ago because it made me too damn depressed. And that was one of those Yoda moments where I felt like Luke Skywalker, yeah. and, but without my lightsaber and he's Yoda. What do you think of that statement?
0: Oh my goodness. That's I like gave an up interesting happiness one. years ago
1: because it made me too damn depressed.
0: Well, if someone believes that they should be in a constant state of happiness, they're going to be striving for it, aren't they?
1: And they're never going to achieve it because you can never achieve a constant state of any emotion. Therefore, you're going to be more depressed because you're achieving, you're striving for a fantasy.
0: Precisely. And then you're stri- you're striving for something that is an illusion, that isn't real, that isn't realistic. It can then set up that perfectionism of, oh my God, I failed, I can't do this.
1: By the way, we don't hire perfectionists. I think perfectionists are some of the worst um, traits for hiring in a, an organisation.
0: Perfectionism can also come up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, because what is perfectionism? It's someone that's striving to sort of stay on that level of everything needs to be perfect, which what does that even mean? You know, perfection is, again, one of those illusions that our mind will tell us exists and actually it doesn't. So we're already setting ourselves up to fail, thinking that there's a perfect way to do anything, to be anything, to be anyone. And then that can end up creating some of these emotional triggers that we've been talking about.
1: Is sometimes being so self-aware and having done so much personal development actually end up being a curse? Do
0: you know what? For some people it can be. And I've had people who I've spent decades in that loop of therapy, personal development, and they're still working through the same kind of thing. Sometimes for some people it can be used as a bit of a crux. Not for everybody, but some people use it as... Oh, it's, it's the thing that I need to somehow fix now, and then I can. Or it's the thing that I need to eliminate or get through, and then I can. So it's almost like part of who they become is, I've got all this stuff here that I still need to keep working through. And until I've done that, I'm not going to be whole, right? So it can become a bit of a sticky situation. Not for everybody, but I have definitely seen that.
1: Sometimes I'll do something and I'll think, that was stupid. And then I think I've done all this fucking personal development, spent all this money on it. I should fucking know better. So you can, I can sometimes beat myself up. I sometimes think, oh, if I was twenty-three, I wouldn't have given a fuck. I'd have just done something stupid, and I'd have blamed you, and I'd have been completely happy in my blissful, you know, ignorance. Yeah. But sometimes the more you know, the more you can beat yourself up about that you should be better. Mm. An, an example of this is, I, I used to read loads of books, listen to loads of audio books on two times a I'd get through hundreds, trying to catch up John Demartini who'd done 30,000. And I got to the point where I was like, could it be a good thing to not read books for a year? Because yes, knowledge is good, but it's too much knowledge A paradox where you, I find if I put too much information in my brain, I, I actually, I start to lose who I am.
0: Absolutely. I think too much information overload can definitely create paralysis in some ways, and it can create that detachment of I'm not quite sure who I am in amongst all this information. Or I should be like this
1: person, or I should be like that person. Yeah, definitely. I should be doing this. Why aren't I doing this? I'm missing out on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that acceptance conversation that we spoke about earlier, I think a big core part around entrepreneurship is accepting who we actually are. So that's not to say that someone can't improve themselves, it's not to say that they can't still want to better themselves and that they might still have things to address, heal, deal with, etc. But actually that core acceptance in that moment, always as much as possible, it goes such a long way. And I know sometimes we think it's like, oh, there must be like something more advanced or there must be something else that I need to do or some other technique that I haven't yet learned. And oftentimes it just comes back to that very simplistic concept of, can you just accept yourself in the moment? You're human, you're fucked up. You know, you're human, you've made a mistake. Yes, you've spent X amount of years working through stuff and something has happened. Do you have to make a story out of it? You know, and actually that is quite a challenge for some people because, you know, sometimes that creates that perception of that's a trigger. I now need to go and heal it. I now need to go and work through that. And sometimes we just need to go, do you know what? I'm just human. There might not be anything that needs to be healed, addressed, or dealt with. And that, again, is the the other side of the coin, isn't it?
1: People often say, especially in society right now, oh, look, I just want to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. You've seen a lot of people who are probably unhappy. What do you think about the goal and the destination being happiness?
0: just said about this earlier didn't we about that shape the happy the ha- that happiness as a concept i think it's something that we just need to be really aware of first of all what that means to us so my definition of happy might not be yours and vice versa right so when the collective terms are used i think we as people individuals just need to figure out what does that mean for me right because otherwise you're never going to know and having that desire to be happy isn't necessarily wrong because obviously all of us want to be content with the lives that we have and still possibly want you know more out of them but i think having that as the um the focal point of i just want to be happy i'm just going to try and be happy all the time for some people that can actually set themselves up to end up in these slippery places of but I'm not happy. But what does that mean? I've somehow failed. Oh my gosh, I need to do something about it. So I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I also think is it, is it actually a really simple, achievable, attainable concept for most human beings? What do you think?
1: I think that the purpose of life is not happiness. Okay. I think happiness is a reward emotion. Mm. I don't think it's the purpose of life i'm not here saying i'm the oracle but from what i can see the purpose of life is evolution to grow as a species yes and we grow through struggle absolutely and happiness is the reward that gives us the incentive to struggle otherwise why would we struggle if there was no reward so happiness is the reward emotion but i think people make it the purpose of life but the problem with making something that's transient and unattainable, the purpose of life, is you're just setting yourself up for unhappiness, which is, I think, what John Demartini said.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I'd agree with that. I think the purpose of us as human beings is growth and evolution. Mm. So, you know, we said about the emotions of the ups and downs. They're not going anywhere. And actually it's in the downs when we realise, learn something that allows us to keep growing and keep evolving. And if happiness is the goal or it should be the state that we're always in, what happens when you're having a really shit day? Yeah it's gonna start creating that, is it my fault? Is there something wrong with me? No, you're human.
1: Yeah, it's a paradox. It's a bit of a tease. Being a human being is a bit of a tease because we need to believe that the purpose of life is happiness so we can keep chasing for it. And as we chase it, we'll overcome struggles and challenges in the pursuit of it. But I don't think people understand the difference between transient elation and long-term fulfillment. Mm. And so what they do is they hide away from challenge and growth For the long, the short term relief and alleviation, happiness emotions, pleasure, short term pleasure, not long term fulfillment. I don't think anyone could disagree with this. And if you want to, then email um, fuck at (laughs) you.com. But I I don't think anyone would disagree with me that they have felt the best in their life when they've overcome the biggest challenges.
0: Yeah. Like you did
1: something meaningful and hard. And how did you feel afterwards? You felt really good. Yeah really good like you lost a load of weight for a wedding and you saw those photos and you felt really good but that I mean, was six months of you know it wasn't fun but you felt really good so i would argue that the greatest sense of fulfillment is long-term overcoming struggles and challenges and that's the true reward but i think we're as humans addicted to sugar which is a short-term happiness hit, you know, dopamine or relief emotions. Like, I'm not going to do that now because it's painful. I feel good in the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So bring then that into the entrepreneurial conversation, which then amplifies the ups and downs and the, you know, the windy paths of what what that looks like. It then, for some people, can create a problem, can't it? Because then it is that, the validation, or the, you said about the pleasure hits, or the, I need to do more, or it's the adrenaline, Mm. or it's the, and for some people that can then create these moments, which actually is what therapy is really beneficial for.
1: Mm. Is all pain unrealistic expectations?
0: Oh, I like the question. In what context?
1: I said all pain.
0: Unrealistic expectations. Not necessarily.
1: Do explain.
0: (laughs) Do explain. Okay, so if somebody has pain I'm going to interpret that as meaning it's some kind of emotion. Yeah, not
1: physical. Yeah, yeah.
0: Brain, yeah. Yeah. Emotion. So emotion yeah. that may be deemed as being bad. So again, as humans, mm. we're very good at yeah. categorizing, right? This is a good one. This is a bad one. Yeah. If someone has got a bad emotion or a bad feeling emotion negative. that creates pain, yeah, negative. Yeah. Sometimes that isn't necessarily an expectation that's been unrealistic and they haven't met it, fulfilled it. Sometimes that can be go back to childhood stories again. You know, it can be things that But have...
1: if they accepted that that is reality, i.e. it's real expectations, not unrealistic expectations, because isn't pain triggered from childhood essentially a feeling of how something should be and isn't, as opposed to what is? Because if we see everything for how it is, not how we want it to be, is there no pain?
0: sometimes and not always like well, okay. paradoxical do explain. Kind of questions, right <laughs> sometimes and not always i think when it comes to pain and it's interesting how you use the term pain so i totally get what you mean and it's like you know being in that that painful state of emotion. emotion exactly yeah. um i think sometimes those emotions that that come up whether it is to do with like a trigger from the past or whether it is like something that could actually be current you know something could have literally happened in the moment i think The focus as the human being that we are, do we see that as being it's an unfulfilled need or it's something that has...
1: Is wrong, is broken. Yeah, wrong or broken. Which is an expectation that it should be right or fixed.
0: Oh, potentially, yeah. But if it was an expectation
1: that it's not wrong or it's not broken, it is what it is. Uh, By the way, I'm not trying to push you down the road, I'm just trying to discuss this because I think about this a lot. Um, and the paradox of me trying to make a singular meaning on something, I understand that yeah. paradox, that opens. Um, but I remember seeing something where someone said, if you see people saying it is what it is, they're probably quite wise and they're probably quite content because what they're not saying is it should have been this. I know some people get really stressed when they're late or others are late. Human beings are always fucking late. I don't give a fuck if they're late. I'm often late. You were here before me. I was actually not late, but you were here before me. <laughs> we're late for Chris, who's my accountant, and he's fucking expensive. <laughs> um, but, like, it is what it is because I'm in the moment here and he can wait And I, if I have to delay much. So it is what it is is a statement that I didn't expect it to be anything else. I accept what it is. But how is anyone ever in any pain, or at least they're managing their pain, if they say, it is what it is? Someone cheats on you. Yeah, it is what it is. It's life.
0: Yeah. I think it's whether people use that as a bypass, though, isn't it? You know, it's like using that statement, which actually is one of my favourite ones as well, Mm. because sometimes we forget that we just get to be in the moment. Mm. I think if it's used in the context of I'm going to bypass this pain and I'm not going to allow myself to feel it. So referencing what you said earlier about distracting or pushing to the side and just pretending that it's not there, that's not necessarily for the highest and greatest good of a human being, because where does that pain go? It's going to keep coming back again, isn't it, to get your attention? I think though, using that as a guidance system of it is what it is, it helps you actually come into the moment, but it's also that self acceptance piece. You know, if you've had a day when you've made a decision that maybe in hindsight was stupid, or you've done something that you're like, oh my God, why did I do that? You get to be in that pain of negative self talk, or, you know, beating yourself up, or criticizing, judgment, whatever. Or you get to step into the place of, well, it is what it is. Like I've done it. I can't really change it, possibly. But I'm, I'm accepting that that's who I am. That's what I've done. That's the outcome. That's how I'm feeling right now. And I'm accepting it for what it is. And I think the more that we, as people, actually start embracing the fact that if you can actually allow yourself to be in that moment and in that feeling, it's not about wallowing in it. It's just about going, do you know what? I feel a bit shit for that. And it is what it is. I'm gonna learn from it. I'm gonna do better next time. I'm gonna mm. take some kind of lesson from it if need be. And it kind of just stops there.
1: Are mm. mm. truly great entrepreneurs sociopathic narcissists? <laughs> just came up with that one now. What do you think? Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> oh, I want to ask, what's your, what do you think before I give you my.
1: Professional? Oh, look at that. Spin it around on me. I think the term narcissist is a weapon in the form of a word. And I don't like it. And I think a lot of words become weapons. And do you know what my observation is? Most people, I can't say all, Mm. but most people who call other people narcissists have high narcissistic qualities themselves. Oh, I
0: have a lot to say about this.
1: Go, let's do it.
0: Uh, I agree with you. Yeah. I think it's a word that gets thrown around extensively in not necessarily the right context or actually it's the word like you said it's weaponized it's kind of labeling categorizing people um we're on the same page with that mm.
1: <laughs> it, it's funny how again one of my mentors said everything you have someone else of doing or being you have that trait within yourself and i found that very good before you start pointing the finger or accusing someone of something. But I just, yeah, what is a narcissist? I mean, it's a, a historical character who's probably changed form over time. And I mean, people who are confident get called narcissists. What is a narcissist?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, in the kind of te- technical, technical definition of a narcissist, I think oftentimes when it's actually used, how you may have seen it, how I may have seen it, is not necessarily really what it's meant to be, right? Like narcissism, that sort of self-centered, very egoic, very driven, very it's all about me kind of personality. We could argue that a lot of entrepreneurs do have that tendency, that is who they are. And sometimes that is really, that is required to really put yourself out there. You know, and at, at what point do you say, well, that's narcissism or is it just extreme confidence? or is it you know just being really sort of bold and stepping into that place of this is who I am and everyone needs to notice me um, yeah it's an interesting one
1: yeah well let's finish on this labels because mm. I, I, I picked up on something you said which I thought was very wise which was when I said about um, pain and then you said I assume by that you mean bad, negative emotions. And what I picked up is elation could be a bad emotion, mm. especially if you you know, bump into a naked person when you're elated and you're married. It's not going to end well, is it? So bad and good is a label, right and wrong is a label. A label yeah. Narcissist, introvert, extrovert, it's a label. Yeah. I am an entrepreneur, it's a label. What do you think about labels?
0: I hate them. Oh! <laughs> I, I hate them in the context of sometimes people use labels to self identify. Okay, so when we talk about self-image, mm. when it comes to entrepreneurs... I, I am. Precisely. Yeah. And if you think about the definition of a label, there's already a lot of pre-understanding as to what that is, what that isn't, how you're meant to be, how you're meant to react, etc. And if people start owning that label, it becomes their self-image. Mm. Now, labels can be useful for explaining things, just for purely definition. It's like, this is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. But I think labels, when it comes to human beings... I feel that they are more detrimental than what they aren't. Because we all have conditioning around labels. Like We all assume that we have an understanding as to what certain things are or what certain things yeah. might be. And sometimes, depending on your filter, so your belief system, your perception of that may not be as empowering as mine or vice versa.
1: Well, we label ourselves in a detrimental way. Absolutely. And we label others in a detrimental yeah. way. Yeah, so for example, you hear a lot of people say, oh, they're woke. That's a pretty de- detrimental label. I mean, I sometimes say the word to get some more views on my videos. But, <laughs> but like, wokeism, I mean, what the fuck is that? I, 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 remember, I read someone saying, the left want to distribute the wealth and the right want to protect those who've got it. And I thought, okay, very clever label. But that is the most macro label ever. Mm. And actually, what is the left and the right now? And in politics, have you really got social and capital anymore you haven't and i just think all these labels are just they're often weapons well you are this so it's a weapon or it's an identity which actually limits us
0: so if you think about labels like i am depressed I am yeah. anxious. No, no,
1: I, no, I'm just feeling anxiety in the moment.
0: Precisely. But yeah. some people don't, right? They no. they own it as that is who I am. I, I am, am a Ill, depressive person. wrong with
1: me. There must be something wrong
0: Absolutely. with me. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's taking that self-awareness to that le- next level of detachment. It's like you get to feel anxiety, but it ain't you. Like yeah. it's not necessarily who you are as a person. No. Um, so that's why labels can often be, I feel, more detrimental than what they can mm. be empowering.
1: Mm. So... Next is my accountant. We're going to talk about a load of stuff about tax. Um, Where can people follow you? I know you've got rachelfoy.com.
0: Yes, rachelfoy.com is actually the main place. It's website and email based.
1: Okay. Do you do any social?
0: Um, I do social on Facebook and Instagram. So if you search Rachel Foy, you're going to find me. So it's entrepreneur, therapist.
1: I have a feeling you might be rather inundated.
0: <laughs> well, if I can help anyone just, you know, move through something, then that's what, I, what I'm here for. Yeah. Love it.
1: Great. Love well, it. if you have any really fucked up but really rich entrepreneurs, connect <laughs> us and they can come on the podcast. <laughs> Sounds like a
0: plan. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you.